Classic Business with Michael Avery, sponsored by Alex Forbes, for insight, advice and impact. Well, there were a few interesting statements uh, made in the expanded uh, budget document, which is really the, the, the interesting one apart from the speech relating to PPPs and crowding in the private sector to help build out uh, the country's grid infrastructure. And that's obviously very key if we are to truly reform our energy sector. Uh, there was some uh, welcome news on incentivizing EVs. Uh, but importantly, that GFRECRA uh, bailout, uh, call it what you will, is the big talking point. Peter Attard Montalto is Managing Director and uh, Global Lead for Political Economy, Capital Markets and Just Energy Transition at, uh, uh, Transition at Crutham. Peter, welcome. Firstly, what was your overall impression of the Balancing Act and raiding that GFRECRA account for that $150 billion? Certainly helped things look a little better. So yes, I think we were already on the optimistic end of the spectrum going into this budget. And even we were surprised the upside on the numbers and their ability uh, to keep particularly expenditure uh, roughly in line with the MTBPS pathway. They've actually revised up revenue, actually closer to us, though we are a little bit above them on uh, on growth uh, for the year. Um, uh, so not particularly dramatic surprise there. It's really the expenditure stuff. Uh, but the important thing to realize is that Jafectra is below the line, so it doesn't impact your uh, your primary balance of non-interest spending uh, and uh, and revenue, and so that staying in line shows that they're not using Jefectra, uh to uh, to for slippage and for additional spending, uh, etc. Um, it does of course impact debt service costs, um, which is a, a medium yeah. run saving they're planning uh, on utilizing. But on Jefectra specifically, um, you know, I think there's been huge misunderstandings for now, like a year on this on this issue. This is not you can't raid your own piggy bank. This is Treasury's money fundamentally. Uh, it's a liability uh, of the Saab to Treasury. Uh, so it's not a free lunch. It's not, uh, you know, uh, magic money from a magic money tree. Um, and it's been very carefully structured as expected uh, to basically deal with a variety of issues such as not selling FX, uh, such as uh, dealing with uh, uh, the costs of running this for the Saab and ensuring there's no risk of negative equity uh, for the Saab. And so uh, it's been very carefully structured uh, but to, to Treasury's advantage, ultimately, uh, to uh, to lower the uh, debt uh, debt uh, issuance numbers uh, in the next coming three years. I, I sort of liken it to uh, raiding your pension via a two-pot system and accessing a little bit now, but not to, to go and uh, splurge on a Mauritian holiday, but to pay off your, your home loan or your expensive credit card debt. So, um, exactly. you know, it's not ideal, but it's, it's the responsible thing to do in the circumstances. Looking through the full budget document, and um, I, I find it quite interesting, uh, the talk for uh, a long time has been how we crowd in the private sector into the grid. Um, what did you make of some of the suggestions that were made on this front? So there wasn't a dramatic amount in the budget documents. There is still a lot of work uh, ongoing uh, by a number of different uh, different actors. Uh, team ITP, as we call them, independent transmission projects, uh, the people who believe in uh, the, we can structure these things like uh, REAP uh, and like IPP office processes. That's Treasury. That's uh, the yeah, electricity minister uh, against sort of the team EPC, as we call them, is uh, ESCOM, who believe uh, that that's not really possible. And, and this is the battle that's going to be coming. Um, but no, I think Treasury is sort of uh, given some ankle here, but not as much as expected. Remember, a year ago, uh, they said they would announce in this budget a preferred financing mechanism. They haven't really done that yet. This work, as I said, is, is still ongoing. And I think we'll see more of that coming out. Uh, in the uh, in the next couple of months, even given the budget, uh, given the election, mm. 
Mm. Uh, I don't think the election is actually going to stop a lot of this uh, important, ultimately, technical work. Yeah, and I was reading Karen Breitenbach in Engineering News just this week, who would definitely be in that uh, in the former camp in, in that she believes you can very much build out a, a REAP-type model to help crowd in the private sector uh, into funding the transmission grid. Where would you sit on that spectrum, Peter? I'm going to put you on the spot here. Well, we, we are actually doing a, a very big project on this at the moment, so I can't say too much about it. But, you know, we are very much team I, I, ITP. Uh, the global best practice on this global norm is that the private sector does this. Um, there's, of course, you need to ensure there's adequate risk sharing. Uh, you need to ensure there's ultimately transfer of ownership uh, after a, a reasonable time of uh, uh, or payback to the private sector for that funding. Um, but no, I mean, this is a norm globally and happens all very easily yeah. and should be, if ESCOM is unbundled correctly, uh, you know, a very nice bankable uh, uh, asset that, uh, as you say, will crowd in the private sector uh, at relatively cheap uh, uh, levels of financing, much cheaper certainly than you know giving ESCOM uh, money itself. No, of course, and uh, we we did see in the speech and in the budget review mention of that German energy consultant group in assessing ESCOM's coal-fired power stations. And uh, in the speech, the minister said that would be released this week. What insights do you expect this assessment to provide, and how might it inform? the government's decision-making regarding ESCOM's operational strategy. Is this going to be the holy grail to improve EAF? Well, yes and no. I mean, I think this document is going to be quite mad and everyone will read basically whatever their bias is into this document. Uh, I mean, there's been a big problem of Treasury trying to publish this because the, the work itself somewhat overstepped its terms of reference in some of the recommendations uh, that it made. And that's partly why I think there will be a bun fight uh, over this document when it comes out. Um, but no, I mean, it will say all the usual stuff we already know about skills issues, not just sort of big skill issues, but right down to, you know, uh, how juniors in uh, power stations uh, work and then how they're skilled and trained and all the, these sorts of things. It goes into a lot of detail, uh, as we understand it, uh, on, on many of these issues. Um, but no, I mean, I think we will have to put it in the context, right, that uh, it, it will try and offer recommendations for raising EAF, but there are certainly no guarantees. Mm -hmm. uh, and our baseline very much remains the same, that, that ESCOM is doing actually very, very well just to roughly stabilize uh, EAF where it is at the moment. And this report will reinforce that view as opposed to this upward path to what we think is an unrealistic 75% uh, in, in two, three years. Well, uh, uh, surely the only way we get to 75% is if we shut down the very poorly performing, very old stations within that period, and then you're left uh, with the, the newer, better performing plant. Uh, that's got to be the only way, which ultimately means there is still less energy on the grid because the finance, uh, the energy minister, sadly, just isn't procuring any new energy. Uh, you know, it's all coming from the private sector at the moment. Let's talk about Transnet here, because third party access to the freight rail network has been uh, a non-starter and we know for, for very well-known reasons why it didn't work the first time out. It's now going to be reintroduced in May of this year. Um, was enough said and done to um, assuage market concerns around Transnet and our ports, which are another major constraint to growth? Well, somewhat, but this this is always the problem where I get a bit angry about budgets and, and budget expectations. The budget is not the place for this level of complexity on this type of reform, which is going on, mm. uh, you know, elsewhere. Um, and uh, ultimately, the the freight logistics roadmap is the guiding lodestar 
uh, of these things is a cabinet past presidency document written by globally renowned uh, experts, uh, South Africans uh, who are globally renowned. Uh, and, and that is where all this is, is ultimately sort of coming from. Now, the third party rail access that's coming from May is, is a different beast. The thing before was very selective sort of procurement style of doing this. This is a lot more open access uh, where people can come in and, uh, and make suggestions about where they think they, there is a, a prospect they would like to bid on. Uh, it's going to be a very different uh, setup, but there are sort of dependencies before this point. The gates will sort of be opened, but not everything will necessarily be fully in place straight away. We need network access statements, for instance, uh, to be in place. The regulators working on that at the moment uh, as an example. But uh, this is, I think, going to work in a very, very different way. And hopefully we will get bankable uh, contracts uh, out of it, um, uh, through, uh, unlike, obviously, the, the last collapsed round. Just lastly, how credible was this budget, given that budgets are always based on a certain degree of um, assumptions that are made about the future and the risks do remain of the, the public sector a wage bill again in the second year of the MTEF or you know further bailouts for SOEs, all the usual risks. How credible are the assumptions in this budget? I think they're pretty credible. I mean, it depends where you want to put the bar fundamentally. And the bar cannot be you know, zero problems, zero slippage. Um, and so we, I think, uh, will be coming in a little bit sort of uh, underneath the Treasury in terms of our primary balance projections uh, going forward, but not dramatically far away, I think, and certainly closer uh, than the market has been sort of uh, expecting. Uh, but no, there are some risks, as you say. There's the risk we, we sort of almost definitely know about, which is Transnet will have to land uh, in the next fiscal year for a small bailout, only about 15 billion per year, certainly not what Transnet uh, is asking for. Uh, the wage bill, as you say, uh, as well, albeit there, Treasury's obviously shown the line in recent uh, years that it can it can hold the fort. Um, so the amount of slippage there wouldn't be ginormous if something went wrong, necessarily, maybe as an alternative scenario. Uh, and then, of course, there are, there are wider issues, like uh, uh, which are ultimately down to politics, such as NHI. Virtually nothing was said at all in NHI today, they're giving 1.5 billion for some of the very, very early initial stages. Could the politics suddenly change and Treasury's forced to you know, land 400 billion in one go? It's possible, but that's pretty unlikely. Uh, and I think fundamentally we need to consider the ANC on fiscal issues is actually generally more conservative uh, than we often give them credit for. So no, with a with a sort of moderately set bar, I think this is a uh, a pretty credible uh, document overall. Out of 10, I'm asking everyone. Uh, so far, I've got one five and one six. I'm not going to tell you who gave it what. What would you give it out of 10? So in and of itself, viewed quite narrowly, I think it's probably a nine, uh, which I think, considering these interviews we've had over the years after budget, it's probably my highest ever score. But I think we must say, we mustn't forget that this is a, a suboptimal place still. We're not dealing with a lot of these bigger expenditure prioritization questions. We're not dealing with the capacity of local government to be able to actually spend money. Um, so if you zoom out, the score might be a little lower. But given the powers and the constraints of Treasury uh, is, is operating under here, I would I would say it's a nine. Peter Tarbontalto, MD, Global Lead for Political Economy, Capital Markets and Just Energy Transition at Cruthen. Thank you very much for your time. Stay right there, folks, because we've got Matthew Parks of Casatu on the line now after this break. Classic Business with Michael Avery, sponsored by Alex Forbes, for insight, advice and impact.